it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams with you. It is the Pink Elephant Podcast. I'm super excited today. I have what I consider friends on the show, but also insanely just very talented individuals with an unbelievable journey to get to a place that they are contributing a lot to the hospitality industry in an area that um, most people probably don't think about, but it has a huge impact on what we do. I've got Scott and Kim Holstein with us today with Twisted Alchemy. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having us. I know. We're Usually so when excited. we're together, we have cocktails in our hand, but I mean, this will <laughs> this will suffice for now. <laughs> so, all right, Twisted Alchemy, for anyone that is unfamiliar, let's do a, a quick, before we dive into the journey of this, this path that got you here, what is Twisted Alchemy for those that are listening or watching? That's it. There you go. That's all you need to say. <laughs> what orange, lime juice. We are a cold-pressed juice company designed specifically for the bar. So, yes, oftentimes an afterthought. Assume it's just going to get done some magically way. Magic way somehow behind the scenes. Yeah. So we're bringing a curated product uh, managed at the farm level to provide an insanely fresh product that's unpasteurized but still has shelf life. Right. And from yeah, farm to cocktail in in the bottle, 750s, bibs, and also our new keg program. So I love a lot it. Of we're we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about the bibs and the sure. new keg program, which we're using all over the place. You know that. But, you know, it's interesting because you look how the industry has continued to evolve and what's happened post pandemic and all this stuff. The the org chart and the labor models that we have now in most of our, in my world, as you know, is a lot of the, on the hotel side, right? So that labor model that we use is a little different now than it was, um, let's call it 15, 20 years ago. And that person that, you know, we, you know, so dependent on in our bar, which would typically be maybe a bar back, they're not really modeled for in a lot of our org charts anymore. So as a result, the idea that the you know the cocktail industry has continued to just grow and evolve, um, fresh juices is, is a given. It's a must. There's no if ands or buts about it anymore, right? Well, the person that needs to get it done sometimes isn't there, and you swooped in with an alternative to that that is just as good, if sometimes probably not better, than having some person in the back of the house doing their best to keep up with the volume that we're doing. And that's the way I like to describe Twisted Alchemy is you were a solution to an issue we had. I love that. That's a great way to put it. We're basically hospitality focused, but for the business owner, like mm -hmm. for the entrepreneur, what do they, or for the operator or the manager, what do they, what makes their life easier? That's oftentimes how we look at a solution we're bringing. How can we reduce their labor? You know, we know of a group in Chicago, Hog Salt, was one of our first, like, we're based in Chicago area, first groups to take us on system-wide. And they cut their labor start time by uh, 90 minutes across the entire set of restaurants. They had about 10 at the time, including New York and Vegas and Chicago. 
in order because they don't need to squeeze. They didn't need to bring anybody to squeeze in juice in the house, in back of the house. There's so many things, so man. I mean, from squeezing the juice and the labor it takes to do it to the shelf life of fresh squeeze to being able to use your product. The other thing that I love about your product is consistency. You know, with citrus for us, if I'm buying it from, you know, a vendor or the store, different times of the year, it's all over the board, our bricks levels and the pH levels of the acidity to where with you, I don't care what month it is, it's perfect every single time. And I think when we start looking, I, I hate to be like the big, I'm a, I'm selling your product for you right now. You're, you're supposed to be talking yet. I'm like, I'm geeking out over telling people. Yeah. Well, it is. It's because you rather. Yeah. And it's, it's everything from consistency to, I mean, from a labor perspective, as you mentioned, to the fact that you factor all that into a consistency on the pricing um, across the board, where a lot of times in citrus, it fluctuates all over the place. And you've, you've gone and found additional solutions beyond just providing juice, because now you have, um, you have the bibs, and now you have this keg program. So tell us a little bit about bibs for everyone that doesn't know that's listening that's back in the box, right? So that's something that comes in in a bulk. You keep it in the fridge. You're able – for us, we put it in glass bottles. So you pull up your glass bottle. You pull the trigger. It comes out. You got fresh juice. It's awesome. Tell us about yeah. this keg program. All right. So, sure, buddy. Yeah, so, so the keg program is kind of an out – like – it came out of COVID in the sense of like people need to really find labor, additional labor solutions. Mm -hmm. Can, is there a way to provide a fresh cocktail to be poured at tap handle speed? And so we use a technology, you know, not everybody understands. And I didn't frankly understand until, until we got in deep into the weeds of making cold pressed juice in order to deliver the juice with like a six month shelf life, which we have like on our, this hand squeezed lime juice has six months is we use a technology called HPP or high pressure processing, which essentially takes flexible packaging. So it's gotta be some sort of plastic and puts it into a piece of equipment that simulates 37 miles below the ocean at pressure. And at those depth of pressure, it neutralizes all the live bacteria but it never raises the temperature of the juice above 41 degrees. So you never kill the, the sugars or the enzymes in the product. And that is why it still tastes like it was just squeezed, even if it's months old. So we looked in, into that, into the, the HPP processing and we, just, we, we figured out there would be a way to use the, the same technology, but on a, on a keg, a plastic one-way container keg which we tested and we figured out we could do it. They had to modify the equipment a little bit, but it gets us the same quality juice into a, into a keg. And then kind of from there, we reached out to partners like Olivier at Patina Group and you guys to say like, what, what cocktails and Gary, what recipes would, would people want to see, you know, Gary Groover at, um, at Marriott, what recipes would people want to see inside these kegs? And that is how we ended up kind of making it work. It's such a and, and for a venue, I was going to say like a venue, like a Moody Arena or even like a hotel, or or Epcot, Epcot and, where you've got tons of people and you don't want people to have to wait in line that you're just, you know, those cocktails are coming off 100 to 120 per keg. And um, 
seamless, but no lines. Again, like fresh. you just said, Kim, it's, it's speed, it's consistency, yet at a super high quality at the same time. It's a, it's a win across the board. We use it often. We worked with Olivier putting it in at, at uh, Space 220 in Epcot, which has been a huge hit. Um, I know you guys have it at Moody Arena in Austin. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yep. And then Banners Tap, Kitchen Tap in Boston. And it's uh, we're just onboarding Gaylord National in DC as well. And there's, I was about to say, there's there's more to come. I I know for a fact our team is is plugging it in all over the place. So so let's right. you, you've got this amazing product. Obviously, I don't know if anyone's noticed in the past uh, what ten minutes that we've been on. I'm slightly a fan, but but obviously you've got this great product. Let's talk about how you got to this point. So you have a, a very unique and interesting story. So pre-Twisted Alchemy, what what got you to this point of having Twisted Alchemy? And I, we got to talk a little bit about the the former life. Yes. Let's go. We'll take you it's back. Twisted journey. To the former <laughs> life. It was, it's been very twisted. It actually did start with a twist. Scott and I met at a bookstore. It was a long, long time ago. And um, back when there was at that stores. time, <laughs> <laughs> I was in the mid 90s, let's just say. Yeah, mid, mid to late 90s. Mid late 90s. Anyway, I was obsessed with an idea. I, I was in advertising. Scott had been an actor, he had a theater company. And uh, we were both trying to find something we were passionate about. And I had this crazy idea of a chocolate chip soft pretzel. And there were the bagel stores at that time. And the idea was to take a lot of the different flavors of bagels, but put them in a pretzel. And I was couldn't stop thinking about these pretzels. And I met Scott. And so, yeah, so we met in my family, like growing up, we had the, the franchise rights to Ben and Jerry's in the, in the all of Chicago, all of Illinois. Okay. So we, you know, I used to manage stores like that. So essentially uh, we met and we're starting dating and she had this idea for pretzels. I'm like, I was at the time like selling mortgages or something horrible, <laughs> you know, horrible death spiral of, you know, future just where, going to the train, getting on the train with my galoshes, you know, wearing a suit. It was horrible. <laughs> And uh, galoshes, you don't see, don't hear that not often that anymore. Not often. Thanks for bringing it back. Big rubber, <laughs> big rubber shoes that fit over your shoes. It's it's horrible. Yeah, they're, they're like death. we don't use them uh, a lot like on the West Coast, by the way. So thanks for uh, <laughs> to explain that. I have galoshes. I've never had galoshes myself, but <laughs> I'm gonna see if they still sell them. Anyway, uh, I was like, hey, here's this awesome chick we're dating she has this great idea you know she's in this like underutilized world of advertising at the time and and uh i'm like listen you know you keep working because she had the brains and the uh you know the real job i was basically commissioned sales and well let's start this let's try and make this thing work so we they didn't have google at the time but we started looking around how do you make soft pretzels and eventually just by grit and not not giving up and a we, lot of failure a ton of failures <laughs> a lot of bad pretzels we got into the market making soft pretzels frankly originally selling to hospitality that's how we started selling to food service hospitality and got a cobbled together some money and rented a little space and got people making hand twisted pretzels in the Chicago area. I think like it really took off once we started doing, we ended up applying, you want to talk about the QVC well, thing? Well, no, first we, we did our first trade show 
And it turned out it was a restaurant show it was in Chicago. And the buyer for Barnes and Noble came around and we, the first big win was that we were actually put into all the Barnes and Noble Starbucks uh, locations with our pretzels. And that mm-hmm. was like, wow. I mean, it was, we were so excited. And then another opportunity that came around that was a, kind of a pivotal change in our trajectory. We received this letter from the Illinois Department of Agriculture that QVC was looking for products. And we submitted an application. And then they, then they said, come to our to the Mall of America for the next round of displaying your, your products. And we went and we thought it was like an office. And we went and it was lines and lines of people that were just showing their products. It was like a candle and, maker, some unique shovel, you know, like, <laughs> literally like tables lined up through the entire mall. Anyway, we did the presentation and I mean, it was packed with these lines and lines of people, but we were selected and we were selected to go on QVC and it was near the holidays and we sold out in like a couple minutes. We sold thousands and thousands of these of soft pretzels and went on to work with them for 10 years. So it's a lot of detail, but it was some big moments as we built Kim and Scott's gourmet pretzels. We ended up going into the frozen aisle, selling in a lot of different uh, grocery stores and national store, you know, the Walmarts and Targets and Kroger's and Whole Foods and all that stuff. So it's a whole different world, as you said correctly, you know, um, eventually we had like a hundred people hand twisting pretzels all in Chicago at our bakery because we refused to use equipment that didn't make the pretzels right. You could buy equipment to do it, but they're like little robots and they couldn't, they, it didn't work. It didn't come out the way we wanted it to come out. You know? Right. It was missing so, that final, it was, the, it was machine made in it, a way. It, looked, that, it just didn't, it wasn't what we thought was like craveable and like something that uh, we wanted to sell. Sure. You know, and we're proud of Yeah, so we, we hand, we hand twisted them, you know, and uh, listen, by the end of it, well, eventually we pissed off. Are the competitive, the competing pretzel manufacturers so much that they basically bought us? Listen, we had three kids. You know, we had to put through college, and we're still putting them through college. <laughs> and they came up with a number. We're like, okay, we'll do something else next. So, and uh, all right, so I mean, so before we even get into twisted alchemy, I wanted to. There's a couple of things that you brought up that jumped out at me. And I think it's important for anyone that's that's watching or listening, if you're thinking about doing your own thing or you're in the middle of trying to get your business up and going, you said a word that is um, that I use a lot. And it, it, the word was failure. And you talked about in the beginning, going through the process of what it takes to find success. And in that process, you have to push through failure. It's inevitable right? It's very, very rare that people don't find some form of failure in the process to of, of success. Can you talk a little bit about going through that process? And, you know, look, failure is demoralizing. Failure is d- discouraging. Failure makes you second guess yourself on, d- did I make the right decision? Should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Am, am I good enough to do it, right? The imposter syndrome starts to set in when those things happen. As you were going through that, 
what helped push you through to make you realize, no, like we are in the right place doing what we're supposed to be doing? Well, first, I, I, I have failure, to say, you're choose. I have a couple, okay. a well, couple first, highlights. I have to say, someone once said to me, get comfortable with failure. And it really stays with me throughout the journey and today because it's it's the more comfortable I get, the more I can see failure is not the end of everything, but like a nudge to go another route. So I don't know. That's where I come from. I mean, we've had so many failures along this twisted path and to not allow it to paralyze me, but to harness that energy to say, oh, go this way, go that way. What what can I learn? I well, know, I, Scott, I, we have different opinions I, about So one of my, one of my, one of my failures, like the one I relive was we, if you ever been into a Jamba Juice, okay, smoothie shop, yep. they have these soft pretzels, right? Okay. So somewhere in like 1999, I saw Jamba Juice was moving to Chicago. I saw in like the newspaper, like they were looking, they were hiring managers or something. I'm like, God, you know what? Soft, a smoothie and soft pretzels make a great combination. They should be selling soft pretzels. So like I chased down, I chased down the the company that, you know, the, the folks that were friend, the, the owners of the brand and got them to test out some of our flavors that we were making. And they ended up taking us on across the country and there was one point in which they under ordered the amount of pretzels that they needed for the West Coast, which is where they were based. And it, they ended up having to like literally hire a, a jet, like a FedEx and take the entire jet and FedEx pretzels to the West Coast. Long and the short of it is that the, we, we refused to pay for the shipping the buyers were so upset that they essentially went out and found somebody else to knock us off and we lost the business and it was a tremendous amount of business. It was like a million dollars worth of soft pretzels, which is a lot of stuff. But pretzels. let me tell you, there's another like, part to that. Wait, yeah. go on. No, that was okay. it. And, and we then, lost it. It was like, at that point it was like a third of our business and we, we couldn't compete on the price. And I was, I was just demoralized and just was so hurt. You were. That they would drop us. And know? it was hurtful. And we we struggled. It was a struggle, right? But then right a couple months later, we landed Sam's Club National. And yeah, it was so much larger than Jamba Juice. And it was it right in the moment, it was so painful and scary. But then when we hung in there, we saw something actually better come through. And it just it was the ups and downs, but the Sam's Club business was much more reliable. It was branded. There were a lot more benefits to that program. Yeah. Can you also say and, from that, Kim, uh, there's two things I think that, that are great lessons uh, for anybody. And number one is making sure that when something that like that happens, what did we learn from that process? Right. So, and that could be a, a combination of let's be careful that we're not, you know, the old saying, jumping over dimes to save pennies. Um, sometimes on the front end for me, I know when growing my business, I had to lose a little bit on the front end to really gain traction in the long run. So that that's one learning moment that you potentially pulled from that. I think the second piece that you talked about was the fact that I believe personally that everything happens for a reason, right? Everything happens for a reason, the good and the bad. And so for me, when something like this takes place, I'm the first person to go, number one, what are we going to learn from it? 
And I pushed my team on that big time. I was like, hey, it happened. I can't, we can't change that. So what are we going to do different next time now knowing what we know? And the second thing is let's be very, very aware and sensitive to what door is about to open for us. Because if something happens and a door closes because something else is going to open, you need to make sure that you are sensitive and aware enough to capitalize on it when it comes. And I've learned over the years of, of doing this and having failure along the way that my perspective of how I view things versus looking at something as, hey, guys, get ready. Something big's about to happen when failure takes place versus harping on, oh my God, look what just happened. What are we going to do? My perspective helps dictate what happens next. My emission, my emotions start dictating that behavior of what's around the corner. And I'm so thrilled that between the two of you learning from what happened at the same time, being sensitive enough that when Sam's called, you were ready to open that door and capitalize on it the way you did. Absolutely. And I, I think <laughs> I so believe what, with what you said, what I, I like to, it, it's like we're magnets. So we have to be really present with what we're thinking and we can learn from those mistakes, those failures. And at the same time, we have to be ready for the great doors that are opening. And I think it's that we, we've had that balance between us. It happens all the time. And um, it's the great learnings of life, right? And it comes to life in this entrepreneurial mm-hmm. path. How many times do people that they're in their job, right? And let's say they, they aren't business owners like like you guys or myself, and they're dealing with something at their at their work that is a struggle. It's a challenge, something they fail at something. The reality is the more time we spend thinking about what went wrong, it means that we're not thinking about how to prepare for what's next. And I think about how many opportunities are missed because we were so closed off to what was trying to come down our path because we're thinking about what happened previously. And I think this is a perfect example. Regret is the thief of the future or something like that. Oh, no. Comparison is the thief of joy. Of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I would say the same thing about regret. I agree. But I, 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 listen, I'm not good at letting go. So I'm still pissed off about that geometry thing, which is literally 20 years is literally 20 years ago. And then uh, the other thing, I don't know, you still want more failures? I got a couple more doozies. I think that we could probably do an entire podcast for a few hours of just talking about between the three of us, everything that's gone wrong at different times. I am curious. I mean, so, all right, we you end up, you sell. And what brought you from selling, from twisting pretzels to twisting juice and making twisted? How did that transition happen? Well, can, well I, can I talk about one thing between yeah, those of course. two? Because I think something really big that people don't talk about is the grief after a sale. Everyone thinks that, wow, that's something you sold a company, but they don't talk about like that you, you lose this like a, like a child, right? Something that was so precious and that we had a lot of fun doing. And yes, we had failures and we had struggles, but it was a big loss. So I think that I just like to acknowledge it because it took so, it took a long time to find our grounding. And I know for myself, 
And I think for both of us, our passion is in being entrepreneurs. And so to come to another opportunity has been like an incredible part of life because it brought us back to a lot of that passion, even though there's the fail failures and fears and struggles, it's also um, the joy of building. So that's, it's just yeah, I think the, the love oh. lesson is like, if you love, if you love doing something, don't underestimate how much you'll miss it. Well, I think you, you I mean, God, that's such a great point, Kim, in that when you, when you launch a company, I hope you're doing it because you're highly passionate about it. Otherwise, for the love of God, don't put yourself through it, right? So you're, you're, and you're, you're almost, it, it becomes it becomes a piece of your identity. Um, it, it becomes, you've birthed this, you've created something out of nothing, right? These, these companies that we have, mine represents my father. It's something that, that we took from nothing and, and now have created something very special. So when it goes away, it's, it's removing a piece of you to an extent. And it, it, there is a challenge. It's no different than a, you know, it's what make restaurants so hard, right? Restaurants are super difficult to keep open. The margins are small, but most people that launch a restaurant believe they've got something special and they birth it. And when it doesn't work, when there's not a line of people that's supporting you, that believes in it the way you do talk about it, it, it rips your heart out a little bit because you have, um, I always say with cocktails, um, I've, I've created and thrown away so many cocktails until I finally fell in love with one long before you ever knew anything about it. Right. So I, I will go through this process right. to create and same thing with music, right? You write words on a piece of paper and you throw them away until finally you fall in love with something. And that's long time before anyone else gets to experience it and fall in love with it themselves. So I think you brought up a really good point that I don't, I agree. I don't think most people talk about the high, the emotional roller coaster of selling, which is great if that's what you're wanting to do, but then also it taking your baby away. Yeah. The loss. And when you close a restaurant and when somebody closes a bar restaurant, I know I've, I've experienced it with friends and I'm sure you have too. Of and we did with our cafe. And we had too. two restaurants had ourselves. And there's just like ghosts in there mm -hmm. of joyful moments that you can walk into that space. You can remember, you, you know, you remember these moments that you loved and yeah. moments of like people gathering there with you and having beautiful dinners and nights. We had a pretzel cafe inside of a children's museum. It oh, was wow. awesome. It, oh, it was the Cole Children's Museum in, in Illinois, Glenview. And we had a station where kids could, we gave them raw dough, like strips of dough, and they'd make a pretzel. We had a little placemat with how to make it. And we gave them like food coloring and paint brushing, paint brushes, and they would paint the, the pretzels and then we'd, we'd bake them for them. Dude, that's and they'd have pretzel twisting parties. This is amazing. And, so and we had fun. pretzel. Can we bring this back? We had pretzel sandwiches. Yes. Oh, it was so amazing. We still own the IP for it. And we know? should have had a cocktail bar there too. Yeah. <laughs> and we made the parents. We made all the, all the sandwiches were on pretzel bread that we made, you know, or, you know, and, and pretzel croutons. Pretzel for the croutons. <laughs> we, it was such a fun experience, especially for kids and families. It was great. That sounds like but, it. But um, 
All right. So how do we I mean, get the yeah, twisted alchemy? How do like where do we where? This twisted part, Scott. So I, well, so uh, after we sold, you know, we were lost souls, <laughs> <laughs> drinking a lot. <laughs> yeah, before we were drinking a lot. We actually had a, a company before Twisted Alchemy too, in between. Okay, that called the Crave Bar. It was an ice cream bar that was a handmade ice cream bar fused to a salted caramel pretzel stick. And dip, dipped in chocolate. Dipped in chocolate. It was insane. That sounds amazing, actually. Uh, totally unscalable. Like, <laughs> like, Especially with uh, COVID, when COVID hit, too. Yeah, that was a it was mess. like, it was a food shot truck it all thing. Down. So that, but that ended up uh, going into the, kind of into the failure bucket. She might disagree with that, but <laughs> I'll put in the failure side of the balance sheet. Some hubris and didn't want to let go of the pretzel brand, I think, or something. Anyway, um, back to, to Twisted Alchemy. So I have a history of of bar. Like I, after college, I lived in France, actually, and uh, bartended in Paris. Uh, this was in early 90s. And uh, let's just say, um, so I had some experience twisting, I mean, uh, making cocktails and squeezing limes. So uh, fast forward to, after, you know, in the it was the early 2000s, we used, you know, our birthdays are in May. So we always have had a uh, Cinco de Mayo uh, Mexican fiesta in May. And I refused to buy lime juice that wasn't fresh or I would do it ourselves. And the party got kind of out of hand. It got to like 150 people, which was insane. And we couldn't execute. I couldn't execute what I wanted to with lime juice. So... I started figuring out that I started searching for a play, a way to do it that would make would make a great cocktail, and that's how we ended up down this path. Well, we also yeah. knew from the food being in the food business, we knew about HPP technology. Yeah. So Scott was but it hadn't thinking been, like you had like Suja juice and Evolution juice, but then nobody was doing it in food service. Yeah. Right. Or hospitality on premise, anything like that. Went down the path of could we get involved? Could we find a way to solve this problem? Uh, of being able to bottle or package or pre-squeeze juice that would taste like it was done in your kitchen or your bar. And the technology we figured out could be transferred. Now, I don't know how how in the weeds you want to go, but the, the commercial juicing equipment that is out there on the market does not get you there, uh, which is why we, we hand squeeze our lime juice in our facility. Because all the commercial juicing equipment is designed to extract as much liquid from the produce. Mm -hmm. So they call it domesticating or reaming. They literally call it reaming the produce. But that infuses all the oils from the pith and the skin. So we like tested every piece of equipment. We could not get the flavor right until we ended up doing it by hand with a sun-kissed. And we set up a line in Belize in order to do it. So we have like 30 sun-kissed juicers lined up and a bunch of very happy people that are squeezing juice and it works it come we get a really really clean refreshing product, you know. That's awesome. So you decided so really you let's be honest. I'm like 
you really started Twisted Alchemy for your own personal parties. Like that, that was really, let's, let's cut through it all. This was, this was to make your personal parties better than they were before. Got it. Okay. Yeah. In fact, we made a little investment in a juice company so we could buy the juice and then, then they wouldn't do the business. Like they didn't have any interest in doing what we wanted to do once we figured out there could be a business there. Okay. So then, so what was the steps after you figured this out, you determined you can do this, you believe there's a business behind it. How did you get it from kind of ideation to, all right, this is something we're going to go after. How are we going to focus on it? Who's the, who's our target? Because you're really the first juice because look, let's be honest, you go to the store, there's juice everywhere. You're the first juice that has mm-hmm. focused your entire, at least from an outsider looking in, your model is based on on, on cocktails, on bartenders, on on hot, the hospitality industry versus, you know, really an off-premise consumer. So how did you determine that that was going to be the direction you took with it? Well, we were very focused on that particular market and- I mean, it's genius. Uh, we went genius out. move on your part to well, do that. Appreciate it, man. I, I don't know. I I appreciate that. <laughs> but that was the the entire laser focus was, and that, I think that would be the answer: is focus on your market. Nothing in the consumer beverage, consumer food and beverage business industry works without a market. Like, if you don't have an interest, it doesn't matter how inexpensive something is or how great it is, if there's no market for it, you won't sell anything. I mean, there's just no, that's it. So we went and started talking to restaurant groups, uh, influencers, guys like Gary Groover, like folks like yourself. We, we went down the tails of the cocktail and just presented it to people and got feedback and ended up t- you know talking to folks like Let Us Entertain You in Chicago. Sure. And we we got interest, and then and we tried to figure out well, what's is there a business model that works? Does the pricing work based on what it costs us to get something done? And can we make uh, make it work like that? So, so I'm gonna, I hope that answers your question. It does, and does. you know, you you did something, and I'm going to give insight. I'm going to give I'm going to give some secret knowledge behind uh, me, my company, that you did the same thing, whether you realize it or not was that you tapped into a market that was needed, but not there, right? There's, it's easy to say there was juice everywhere, but like I mentioned before, there was no one catering to this very specific niche market, right? And you came in and filled that void. So for Ellis Adams Group, for my company, many, many, many years ago, long before I ever knew I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life, I was a super young kid and I was interacting with someone in a, that was doing a sales position. And there was a, a there was a company in New Orleans, Louisiana, that was formed that did insanely well. And I'm not going to go into details of who they were, but one day um, I happened to be sitting there, and they asked the owner of that company's mother. Um, now, long, this is long, really before you know, really internet and Google and that kind of stuff to date myself a little bit. And they asked the mom, said, "How did how did your son come up with this?" And she said. Crazy enough, he opened up the, I don't know if, for all those that don't know, there used to be these things that they would drop off at our house called phone books. <laughs> and in the phone book would list the business section, right? And then you'd have all the personal numbers. And they said, she said that he went through the phone book 
And he literally went through the business section to try and find what was missing. And when he figured out this one area that was missing, he said, I'm going to start a company to fill a void. And I, for whatever reason, that stuck with me and I never forgot it. So if you look at our company, EAG, I focus a lot of our attention. And as we continue to grow in finding niches and areas where there's a gap and we come in and fill the void in most of what we do, it's not that we're the only ones that do it, but we many times are the only ones that do something very specific within it. And, and I do that as a model that I'm going to fill a, a hole, a gap for somebody that's not doing it. And you did that. You did that with Twisted Alchemy that there was plenty of juice, but no one that really focused on, on hospitality specifically, on the bar scene, especially seeing that during yeah. that time, cocktails were on the uptick, all fresh you know, ingredients. And you came in yeah. and you filled a void. And you've, I mean, in my opinion, you've seen it explode since. So very smart move. Well, I appreciate well, and, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say also coming from that personal experience that, wow, I mean, we really want that fresh juice in a cocktail that that really elevates it makes experience. A huge difference. And, um, <laughs> you know, that propels us forward because it has such purpose. We like to say we elevate spirits of cocktails and people as our mission and to really live that. Yeah. And also like the, the cocktail world, like they're so dialed into details and, you know, the alchemy of it all. And yet when it came to juice, it was like, well, whatever shows up, we'll use. Hopefully we get the yield on the produce we want. Yep. Hopefully the bricks levels are right. Hopefully the rind isn't too big mm -hmm. in the produce. Hopefully the, the number of pieces of produce in the boxes are, are correct. Yep. I mean, they're very, had, very prices of yeah, produce. It fluctuates every single week. It fluctuates the cost of the produce. We actually hired a professor from the University of Wisconsin to go into uh, properties that would let us in. So, like a Marriott property let us in, uh, PF Chang at the time let us in, and we did an analysis for like a week of every case of produce that they received. We weighed them, we checked how much yield they got out of, wow. out of the produce. We looked at how long it took them to squeeze it. We checked on how long the juice lasted. Everything fluctuated week to week. There were times when they would get five pounds less than the than the, what the case says on the side of the of the box that they would get. They would get a liter fluctuation between how much juice they could extract from the produce. So it made, like you're saying, like they they didn't. I don't think people understood how much fluctuation and lack of control they they have from operating, you know, a squeezing on-premise program. And it's such a, so, our margins are so small too, that you don't, people don't realize that five pounds makes a huge impact on us, on an operation, especially some of these bars and stuff where, you know, they're not doing millions upon millions of dollars. And, you know, you're, you're praying to God, if you make 10 cents, you're, you're loving life on every dollar. And tracking the not tracking that loss. They, they're yeah. not tracking the cost. So, so you're right. We can deliver. I mean, I'm sounding like a sales pitch, but we can deliver a one price for for the year. You know, uh, and with a hundred percent yield. You know, on your on your juicing program, which is which is nice to just like okay, done. We don't have to worry that it's going to change. Yeah, unless there's a hurricane, which we have problems <laughs> or some <right. laughs> some massive drought. 
we get it solved eventually. Droughts, but right. but in 95% of the time, our prices never change throughout the year. I have a question for you. So you, you launched with Alchemy. It's done really well. All of us are huge fans of it. You're in a lot of you know, you have a lot of big clients now. When the pandemic happened, obviously we talked a little bit earlier about the, you know, the keg program helped stem from that. Aside from, from that, how challenging was that for you guys uh, going through? And I know that's a stupid question. It was a challenging for everyone. No, Actually, I love, I do this, not love that question, but I, when I reflect on what we went through, I cannot believe we're all here today. I mean, it was, you know, devastating when on that one day we were selling all hospitality. We lost every customer in the one day and we were just wondering, what are we going to do? I mean, I mean nothing against Dr. Fauci. He would get on air and say, <laughs> stay away from bars and restaurants. Yeah. And, and don't drink the juice. Like, what? He always led with bars and restaurants. I'm like, couldn't you lead with health clubs <laughs> once in a while? Like, you have to lead with bars. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we were devastated and we panicked and we, um, but then we, we calmed down, we shut down our office, kind of hunkered down at home. And then people started to, there was more of like connect, start connecting with people and, and realizing people were crafting cocktails at home and we could take the bar home take our juices home, help elevate the spirits of people who really needed it. And so we started our whole direct-to-consumer kits on our website and, um, Twisted and cocktails to go. <laughs> and uh, we just tried to be scrappy in anything and everything we could possibly do to elevate spirits with our juices in this, in these different channels. So and that channel still exists today. And we do a, a, you know, great curated holiday kit programs and throughout the year people can buy directly from our website. So, I mean, it, it's representing about 10% of our revenue, but it's uh, robust and it's, listen, from the pandemic birthed this direct to consumer business that really gives people a, an incredible program that that's like pro level bar uh, at their house. I just was, I was going to say, we, we also did these, these Zoom experiences where we would send kits to people at companies all over the country and bring the teams working remote. And we would curate cocktails with like the company's name, like the Amazon Teeny or the, you know, just a special curated cocktail for a toast. And um, so we had this experience of, of not only selling the juices and the kits, but also something more connecting all of us together. This just was another and we use, part of uh, COVID. And we started selling this line of cocktail. Oh. Uh, uh, Rimmers and rim, garnishes. No, and garnishes and also like jiggers and stuff from Chris yeah. Adams' yes. design collection. <laughs> Chris, that's that. where we, your amazing bar <laughs> tools. Dude, the bar tools. Which we lit. still get from you today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, thank you. Much appreciated. And I love oh, the well, fact that again out of out of difficulty something fabulous was birthed and i think that again goes back to as an entrepreneur you, there's never a time where your brain's not looking for what's next or how do i how do i push how do i expand how do i keep growing and as as much as my god the pandemic was uh, was horrible and a tragedy for everyone um 
you still have to to look back and smile at some of the things that were birthed from it. Um, and I, when I say smile, I don't mean smile because of what happened, but grateful. Grateful that you were given the opportunity right. um, to be able to create what you created. I remember your your the the live sessions that you guys were doing, and it was cool to see the entrepreneur kind of almost rebirth of saying like, "Hey, it, it let's not settle in here. Let let's push and figure out how to how to keep moving this thing." And now here you are out of the pandemic, business is booming again. And now you've got a whole nother division of your company that would have probably never come to fruition or, or, or come to life if you weren't put in that position. And so that's a, that's a cool thing to see. And again, speaks to that entrepreneurial mindset at all times. Thanks, man. It's been quite a journey. <laughs> it's been a, it's quite, been a, a journey. journey. So I have a, I have a question a for, for Kim. I, I see you've been featured on, a, on many different things in, in different magazines and publications. I want to talk about a little bit, and Scott, if you you can head out if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to talk about seeing the transition continue to evolve, the struggle, yet also um, the growth, hopefully, of what it's like to be a female that is leading a company um, alongside Scott, but also um, a leader in an, in the industry. So, what has that been like? And how have you, have you seen it grow? Have you seen, have we, have you seen us grow as, as a culture and society and, and doing better in looking at the females in leadership positions? Wow. I think that I, I want to say yes. I think that there's, um, you know, with um, all the different, it, wow, it's been, I don't even know where to begin. I just want to say, I mean, it's been in the past, I would say maybe seven years, you know, the Me Too movement, a lot of voices, a lot of people standing out, speaking up, um, a lot of initiatives with diversity and equity inclusion, getting more and having more women lead in the industry and as entrepreneurs. I mean, it's been it's been exciting. I think there's been inroads. There's still challenges with funding, to be honest. And I think that that makes it more difficult um, at a more a larger scale. But but I've definitely seen changes, especially over from pretzels to juice. And I'm grateful. I think Scott and I and how we lead and how he he's been supportive. But we have a lot of women that work on our in our team. We also support um, Speedrack, uh, the Speedrack research for breast cancer and, and all the female bartenders in that competition. Um, and so, I don't know, I'm giving you kind of a double, um, I, there's been strides, there's been great stories of, of success and impact. And then at the same time, probably more frustration in terms of funding, lack of, you know, investors investing in women, much smaller percent. And that's, that needs to change. But there are some amazing women out there leading in, in hospitality, and that's exciting. And yeah, I love this industry. I know. Yeah. And it's, it's on one hand, I'm, you're excited to hear that strides have been made, but we're not there, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think it's important no. to make sure that that conversation continues to happen. I'm very fortunate that I have, um, I have a, a prettier half that is much smarter than I, that anyone that knows our company knows she's the one that actually is 
the one running everything. I just, <laughs> I, I get to do this kind of fun stuff. And we have a large number of, of females at work at EAG as well. And I agree. It's great to see that strides are made, but we're not there. And I think that it's important that the conversation can, that it doesn't fall off, um, that the conversation continues to happen. And we have to keep pushing to uh, hopefully one day get it where it's supposed to be and celebrating the wins as they come, but not settling in and, and assuming that's as good as it's going to be either. So thank you for being a leader um, and, and out in front of that and, and helping with the charge. Well, and thank you for, you know, making it important. And um, it's, it's people like you and all of us working together so that we're all elevating um, and lifting others. And um, I, I just think it's really important. And so thank you. Hey, look, it's a learning curve. I think, I don't think if it would have in, in, in full transparency, if this, the conversation hadn't truly started, I don't know that I would have recognized it in full transparency because it wasn't something that I was specifically trying to or not to do. I was just living life. And the fact that now I'm put into the conversation and I'm forced to make sure I pay attention to it, I'm learning more about it to ensure that we're making the best decisions possible. Um, that only happens if if we have these types of conversations um, and don't let it fall by the wayside. So I, I think every day is a, is a part of the, the journey. Absolutely. And I think a huge part of that is transparency and, um, and mentoring. And I know we, before we were talking a little bit about mentoring, and I think that that's such a, a critical piece of, you know, the next generation being mentored and supporting along the way, helping people to grow and learn. And I care deeply about mentoring. Yes. I, um, I have gotten, to I love that about you. Oh, look, I've gotten to a point. <laughs> I think it's the older I've gotten. Um, look, you, over time you change. If you, Anybody that says they think the exact same way they did 25 years ago is a very scary proposition. Like I, I hope to God everyone I talk to, like I'm different now than I was 25 years ago. I think differently. I've matured. I've evolved. I've, I've been exposed to things that have changed my view in, in certain areas. And I'm grateful that I've been able to evolve and change. And a part of that is the fact that I've had mentors, that I've had people that have helped guide me, that have had tough conversations with me that have told me when I was wrong that, um, and I was, thank God, put in a position to where, um, it, it helped force change, um, on myself. And as a result, mm -hmm. I think now that I'm older, I, I care so much about seeing other people win. Like I am, I am, I'm obsessed with seeing other people win. I want to see, um, I want to hear about their success stories. There's an, there's an, there's enough cheese for everyone. And, and the fact that, I play some very small role potentially in someone else's growth and development the same way someone did for me and hearing them tell me how they've changed, they've evolved. That's the reason why we do it, at least for me. EAG is, is yeah. nothing more than it's the avenue that allows us to do those types of things um, and help people get to the place that they're supposed to be in life. And so big fan of, of making sure that I'm doing my part as best I can uh, for someone else. I love that. And you know what? You make me just love this industry because it's people like you, your good, your, your values and your intentions and all of who you are and what you're doing. It's, it's just like, we're raising the vibes, you know, it's, you know, I'm really grateful 
I, so I appreciate it. I can tell you that that's a, that's, that's a journey, right? I, I think I always feel like at my heart, I was a, I was a very good person. I wanted to, I wanted to see the best in people. Um, I'm always been an optimist, but I think there's a journey in life of, I, you make stupid decisions when you're young, you, you, you learn from it, you evolve and hopefully in the process, be, start to evolve into the person you're supposed to be and not the person you were becoming. And I think this industry, and I'm curious your take on this, the two of you, everybody's a fan of you going after your dreams and achieving something until you start to achieve it. I, and and I'm, what I mean by that is when you've got nothing and you're, you, you, you lay out to someone like, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and do this. Everybody's your biggest fan. Oh my God, go after your dreams. That's so awesome. And the minute you start finding some real success, it's amazing the number of people that come out that want nothing more than for you to fail. <laughs> and and you oh, right, you start to learn in the process of success that, you know, they say it's lonely at the top, right? And the the the, the little wind you start to get, you start to see the people that you thought you had around you that were your biggest support system starts to thin out a little bit as you start to find success. Yeah, yeah. Quiet, Have you like dealt with that? a little bit? And they, they, the friends you thought were going to be there for life just somehow disappear. They just, well, you know, my experience. Yeah. You know what I think is that the more we have authentic community and, and authentic connections, yeah. I think it probably yeah. happens less because then yeah. people can really be championing you and want you to keep growing and creating and, and transforming and doing all you're doing. Yeah. And that it really isn't that you, know, you reach one moment that is like the moment of success. It's really like the whole journey because I think we've talked about it. We had, you know, something that might look like, oh, that's a big win. And we shared, wow, that was a really, that was a grieving moment. So I think people put a lot of assumptions about where you are and and wow, you're, you know, you've reached this point, right? Especially with social media now, right? I mean, our whole life is based on whatever is you posted. That that just must be reality, I assume, right? <laughs> right. And that's so, why, too, I'm sorry, I was going to say one more thing was I, this format is so great because you have this conversation and, and we can really, you know, we've already had thought the world of you, but I just, I love this kind of conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate So I'm dying to ask him. Yeah, it's been it's awesome. I appreciate the free form aspect of this. So I want to go back and ask you about, about mentorship. How do you get better at mentoring others? If you've not had a mentor yourself that, that I'm speaking for a friend, <laughs> for me, asking for a friend. You know, I don't, I grew up kind of like in the entrepreneur scene, right? With Kim and I really, and I don't have, uh, the experience of having been mentored well, and I don't think I'm a good mentor for people. I want to be better at it. Let me just put it that Look, way. I will. This is what I'll tell you. Stop labeling it. You know, there, there's not a mm-hmm. there's not a every Tuesday at two p.m. is my mentor session with someone where I sit down and go through a workbook that I have and they fill out paperwork. A lot of times is am, am I doing my best to do exactly what we're doing right now one on one with somebody else. Do I have, uh-huh. I can tell you that the number of, of people that reach out um, either through our website or social media that says, Hey, I'm wanting to do X. I'd love to pick your brain. 
I don't know one scenario that I've said no. I will find time for someone that I have no clue who they are, what they're trying to do, to give them 10 minutes of my time for them to ask me questions, for me to give them honest, transparent answers. That's mentorship. It doesn't mean that I have to yeah. take them to lunch every every week. It doesn't mean that I have to sit down and give them hours upon hours. But if somebody, for me, if somebody's looking for help, am I willing to give them my perspective or what I've dealt with? The answer is yes. Am I making sure that every single time that I'm engaging with someone, I'm doing it with a purpose that there is that they they potentially are taking something I've said and are going to do something with that good or bad? Am I paying attention to how I treat others? Because how I make them feel many times determines their actions and what they do next. And if I've done something that is going to minimize or diminish their actions upon what they could be doing to maximize who they are, that's on me. Now, I will tell you, I have also learned how to say no. I've also learned, and when I say no, what I mean by that is I've learned to when there's, if I'm, if I can't give you the best version of me, I need to say no. Now that's not the that's not giving 10 minutes to someone that wants to ask me questions but if one of my best friends Gary calls me and says hey I've got this this project I need you to handle if I can't give Gary the best version of me then someone on my team needs to give it give them the best version of them I can't necessarily take mm-hmm. on everything myself right because I believe that you deserve the best version of me at all times. My team deserves the best version of me at all times, regardless of what's going on at my company, regardless if it's a good day, a bad day, a client's happy, a client's mad, that ha- that should have zero bearing on you getting the best version of me. And the reason I say all that against your question of yeah. mentorship is I view mentorship as every interaction I have. Whether they're looking for me as a mentor or not, my engagement with something with someone potentially has an impact on their life, and and so so what's what's a great go ahead? Well, I was going to say what what's your best tip or tips on how to give criticism to people in your organization? So we lead a hundred percent. Ask anyone on my team; they will tell you like without blinking an eye, radical candor. Phenomenal book. Kim Scott's the author of it. I highly encourage anyone, if you haven't read it, read it. Um, It's called Radical Candor. It is, in my opinion, one of those must-haves to understanding the core of any organization's ability to move forward. And the reason why is Radical Candor says I need to be able to speak truth and love at all times to anyone on my team and vice versa. But you always know that where I'm coming from and the place where it comes from. Right. So it's never about criticism. And the best example I can give is this. You have kids. I have two daughters as well. And I I look at when my kids were, say, 13, 14 years old. And I say, if if my 14 year old was doing something that I know is going to hurt her future, am I going to say something? Well, of course. Right. That's a no brainer. Of course, you're going to say something. And I'm going to say something to that 14-year-old knowing that I'm going to take the wrath of the 14-year-old that's slamming doors and telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm old and all these things. But I'm okay taking on that responsibility because I love her that much, right? 
The minute that I refuse mm-hmm. to have those types of conversations with my team, I'm basically telling them, I see you are doing something to hurt your future. Your behavior is keeping you from a promotion. Your behavior is not going to get you where you want to be in life. Your behavior potentially is going to get you fired. But because I don't want confrontation and I don't love you enough, I'm not willing to have that conversation with you. That's what we're telling them. When we're not willing to have a tough conversation, I'm telling you, I don't care about you enough to actually have that conversation. I'd rather see you just fail at some point and get out of my hair. At my company, I don't hire that way. I care to a fault about my team. I will I will let it go too much before you finally have to say enough's enough. And it's not because I'm not having conversations because people are always going to make mistakes right? That's, that's called being human. And we actually encourage our team to fail, fail forward, learn how to learn from your mistakes. But when we start having habitual behavior, that's no longer a mistake. That's a habit. And now we need to find ways to correct the habit. So you don't continue to make those same mistakes. And if you make a choice to not want to correct the habit, I can sleep well at night knowing that I have done everything in my power to put you in a position to succeed, to succeed. And you have chosen not to. Right. That's a very different situation from a leadership perspective. So for us, we talk about radical candor almost on a weekly basis. There is never a time that our team doesn't know that radical candor is always at play. So when those conversations happen, it's a hell of a lot. They're giving it to you also. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you, that's something you have to learn as a leader to listen (laughs) <laughs> it's not easy yeah. because you, you, you no. know, you immediately, well, this is my company. I did this. I've already been through this and you quickly no, want to yeah. respond. Um, and it's something on a daily basis. I have to make sure, listen, 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 because that's the purpose of radical candor is they have to be comfortable enough to be able to speak mm-hmm. in truth and love and we can listen to each other. So there you go. That's some heavy stuff. There's my, it's good. I love that. Truth and love. You are an inspiring leader. And um, fuck yeah. You know what? It's great. I feel like every time we talk to you, we learn something. <laughs> really? You're a great teacher. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I can't thank you. Really thank are. you both enough for, for coming on, sharing the story of Twisted Alchemy, um, your journey, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, I can't wait till we're together next time so we can have some pretzels. I have big expectations now. Um, <laughs> I made some last year, this year, for the first time in like 15 years. Oh, dude. Next time I'm in Chicago, we have to have pretzels. I'll make you some. You're here. I will make you some. Give me a week's notice. We had not twisted a pretzel in 11 years. Look on my Instagram. You'll see the pretzels. I love it. I love it. So look. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, of course. So let me ask. If if anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they want to try and figure out – there might be restaurant, bar owners, hotel operators that are listening. They want to, hey, I want to check out Twisted Alchemy. Give them uh, the best ways to get in touch with you. Well, they can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. They can also email us, hello at twistedalchemy.com. Or, or I, yeah, Kim she's... or Scott at twistedalchemy.com. Yeah. Yeah, they can reach right out to us. That'll be the easiest way. And uh, Drink Twisted Alchemy is the handle on Instagram. Love it. And that's probably the easiest way, or as Kim said, email Scott or Kim. Well, again, thank you so much. I, um, I can tell you our team, we use your products constantly. We're putting them into our clients' operations. We have it actually at our operations that we own. That's all we use is twist that alchemy. So 
we definitely stand behind <laughs> what everything you guys are doing. Um, thanks for everyone that's been joining us today. I am Chris Adams here on the Pink Elephant. You can find me at Chris Adams Official, um, ellisadamsgroup.com, uh, Ellis at Ellis Adams Official. We're all over the place. Make sure you follow along with us. We look forward to checking you out next week. Have a good one.